take your Bibles and turn to the back of your Bible. You can go to Revelation, back up one to Jude, back another up to 3 John, 2 John, then go into 1 John, the 5th chapter. 1 John, the 5th chapter. Hold your thumb there or just save your place. We'll come back to this in a moment. There's a few scriptures we're going to read before we get there. But this morning, my heart is very simple, and it's probably what we all need to remember and what we all need to embrace this morning. And that is, what is the true foundation of freedom? The true foundation of freedom. It's a word that gets used a lot in our culture. It's a word that gets used a lot even as it pertains to spirituality. But what is the true foundation of real freedom? Tomorrow, the last Monday of May, obviously every year, is known as Memorial Day, originally known as Decoration Day to honor the veterans of the Civil War, those that died. And it became an official federal holiday in 1971. But Memorial Day as Decoration Day gradually became known as, really has taken on a different meaning over the past four or five decades. Obviously, as we came out of World War I, World War II, then the Korean War, the Vietnam War, many names were added to remember. It's important that our country continues to do that, even as the war in Iraq has come to an end and Afghanistan and all that has happened there has seemingly come to an end. Everyone who served that we remember on Veterans Day and then everyone who died uh, preparing to serve or fighting for our country, they must be remembered. It's really a vital importance that we remember those who fought and died and paid the price because it's exactly what the cost of your flag is. It's what it means. That flag is a beautiful flag. It's a representation of some wonderful things. But for that flag to exist and for it to mean anything is to acknowledge the price that was paid for that flag to even exist in the first place. It must be remembered. It must be taught. Even young children must understand that Memorial Day is more than a long weekend and extra hot dogs and hamburgers. God gave us men and women, strong families to hold the line exactly when it mattered the most. And not only do we remember the sacrifice of those who gave their life, but we remember that God who allowed us an opportunity to not be overcome by either Japanese from the West Coast or Germans from the East Coast or that communism has not spread any further than it already has although you will find roots of it slowly growing in our culture. John 15, John 15, verse 12 through 13. There's two verses here that are very important. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now this verse in the Gospel of John, written by the same person who wrote 1 John, uh, this is a reference to the supreme evidence of love and expression of that love 
shown through Jesus on the cross and his death. And Christians are called to exemplify that same kind of sacrificial giving towards one another. We're to follow Christ in that lifestyle, as Brother Jerry said, as a living sacrifice. And even if that sacrifice involves laying down one's life, it's an imitation of Christ's example, the ultimate example. And this is why the church, as an entity and as a people, can so strongly identify with the sacrifice of servicemen and women when they die serving their country. All of them in the past 47 years in our country, volunteered to serve. The last draft was in 1973. It uh, was introduced in December of 1972. The last actual lottery drawing was March the 12th, 1975. So for the past almost five decades, everyone that's gone, everyone that's served has gone of their own will and fruition. And even those whose number was called to serve, they did it with honor, they did it with dignity, and they did it with bravery. Many of those that were drafted in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, they refused to go home after their required deployment was over. They saw the need. And they knew that what they had seen there in Vietnam or Korea or in Germany or Italy or France, that they did not want it to come to where their home was. They would rather stay and possibly die, and many of them did, and fight it there than rather come home and have to fight Nazi Germany on the shores of Myrtle Beach. Those were men that were determined to, no matter what the cost, no matter what the price, even though they could go home, they would stay and they would fight. Their death and their sacrifice purchased for us today a freedom and a liberty that no other land has ever known. There has never been a greater nation with more wealth and more prosperity and access than these United States of America. You say, well, things in the United Arab Emirates seem to be more far along. They have more money. They have more, uh, a faster GDP growth. Even in the United Arab Emirates, the limitations of liberty, the way things are there compared to what you experience here, you can't compare. There is no greater experience than the American democracy, this democratic republic that God has given us. And I know in the inside of all of our hearts, we take in what this country is becoming and it does sadden us. It's heavy, it's a burden, but I submit to you, even as torn and as tattered as our inward condition is, I believe with all of my heart that America is still worth fighting for. Some would even say of my generation that America is still worth dying for. All because she still has great potential. But the potential that America has will only be awakened, will only be realized, will only be seen if she calls back on the bridegroom that made her great in the first place. Our only hope is to turn back to God as quickly as possible. The sacrifice 
that was paid so that you could be free. There are no words, there's no prose, there's not even a story that could begin to scratch the surface of all that God has done to allow a country like this to exist. As Americans, we all should remember the sacrifice that's been paid so that we can live and enjoy the goodness of God. And every time we see that beautiful flag, it should be a flag of freedom, a banner of faith that we remember what God gave us. It's a precious gift from God. But as great a land as America is, as beautiful as she is, from sea to shining sea, she doesn't even come close to the beauty and the blessing and the bounty of the kingdom of God and the land that is being prepared for the inhabitants, the residents who are there now or who will be there because it is being prepared by Christ himself for over 2,000 years. Jesus told us when he departed our fellow believers that yes, he was leaving, but that he was going to prepare a place for us. And that place for us will come. And that place will be in his presence. And it will be a land of freedom. And it will be a land of glory. And it will be a land of majesty. And there will be no darkness there, no sin there, no shame, no guilt. It'll be a kingdom where there is no sickness, no sadness, no sorrow. None of that will be experienced by those who live in that land. And just as our homeland here on earth was paid for in sacrifice, just as our country here was provided by blood being shed, the life that we have now and the life to come, the eternal life provided in Christ, it was paid for in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest sacrifice ever to be given. It's the greatest example of love ever to be shown. And the wonderful thing is that you as an American Christian have access not only to eternal life through and by Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. The kingdom of God and the things of God. But God has given you the blessing, the added benefit of living in his kingdom and living in a place like America. A double benefit, a double blessing that you would have access not only to what God has given you, but that he would give you access to all that it means to be an American. Brother Mark can tell you the stories of what it's like to live in places not called the United States of America. Our formula shortage that we have in our country for most mamas in most African countries is a normal daily experience that there is no food for their child or that food is controlled by someone with a Kalishnikov and no rule or no law that prevents him from ending that mother's life. We are blessed beyond measure to live in the country in which we live and God has blessed us. 
Yes, it is changing. Yes, things may become more difficult. Things may become hard. Liberty may mean something different over the next decade in America. Freedom may unravel, as you know it, right before your very eyes. But at the end of the day, God has still blessed us beyond any comparison that we could ever come up with. God has been good to you if you live in this country. And when I look at the foundation of American freedom, I see a desire I see a willingness to duplicate or to emulate a lot of what God established in his kingdom. Don't miss that. As you study American history, as you look back at where we came from, if you'll notice the foundation, if you'll notice the beginning, much of what our founding fathers embraced emulates or replicates or duplicates much of what you will find within the kingdom of God as described in the New Testament. Words like freedom and liberty and majesty and beauty all provided and maintained through sacrifice. All of those things are at the core of the American tapestry. But they do not originate in the minds or the hearts of the founding fathers. The foundation of freedom does not go back to George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or Thomas Jefferson. Any of those men, they got it from somewhere else. They embraced that idea from something bigger than themselves. And our founding fathers, they were not perfect men, but they were hungry and they were thirsty for a land where they could worship God freely and openly the way that they felt that God had called them to do so. And they were willing to sacrifice it all to come to a place where they could do that. But these things, these ideas, these principles that at the foundation of America make us what we are, it's the soil in which our constitution was born. These are not American originated ideas We don't have the trademark or the patent on those ideas or principles. They come from God's word. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Found in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. John 8.32. And ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Freedom. John 8, 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Doubles down on what it means to know the Son and that the Son knows you. There is freedom there. I love what the Old Testament says in 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine, Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Power, glory, freedom, victory, majesty, liberty, all of those things are found within God's word well before the idea of America came about. These are principles that are embraced in God's word. And they were created and they were defined by God himself. America does not define what freedom is. God defined what freedom is. America does not define what true liberty is. It is defined for us in the person of Christ in Holy Scripture. 
There is no power greater than the power of God himself. Yes, the U.S. military is a powerful, mighty force that could annihilate any army combined together with any other army on earth. But at the end of the day, the U.S. armed forces pales in comparison to the power and the might and the majesty of our holy God. It is not an American ideal It is God's idea that men would be free, that men would be at liberty from not only themselves, but from sin itself. Freedom, real freedom. What is the foundation of freedom? Think with me on this. Why does freedom, why does liberty, why does victory for all power and the glory and the majesty as it pertains to America Stay with me now. Why do those ideas as it pertains to what happens in our country enrage and furiate communists? Why do socialists so hate the idea of the American democracy, this democratic republic where you can go vote and change the tide? Why does it so enrage oppressive political operators when radicals gather anywhere in the world? What flag is it that they are burning? You'll see two. It's not the NATO flag. It's not the European Union flag. It's the American flag and the Israeli flag. That hatred, that demise, that despising hatred of, uh, of America and Israel, I submit to you, is a hatred that comes straight from the zeitgeist, the ebb and flow of the cosmos, controlled by Satan himself. And those people who are under that dominion, who are under that power, when they behold something like freedom or they behold something like liberty, it is the anti-Satan movement and it so enrages them and they inviscerate themselves with anger and venom. It's because those elements like freedom and liberty are found within the kingdom of God. And though America has taken things like liberty and freedom and we have changed what it means, and though we have taken those words and bruised them and harmed them, God's kingdom still preserves his freedom and his liberty in a perfect way. Our founding fathers were no strangers to this. They knew that the very governing structure and principles to get this nation started must emulate what they found in Scripture. But understand that the greatest freedom that exists is not the freedom that comes with your U.S. passport. That freedom is wonderful, it's great. You'll be hard-pressed to find anywhere else in the world with freedom Like that. But the greatest freedom that exists is freedom from sin. That mortal human beings who are by nature sinful creatures, who are born internally wicked liars, according to Scripture, that those very people could ever be free from who they really are. That is the greatest freedom ever given to any man. 
that men could be free from sin and free from the bondage of Satan himself. That is the greatest freedom. Jesus himself lays this out for us in Luke chapter 4. You can turn there if you want or it will be on your screen. Luke chapter 4, verse number 18. Jesus comes back into the city, the town where he grew up, Nazareth. He walks into the village for the daily reading. He goes into the synagogue. The captain of the synagogue hands him the scroll. He opens up the scroll and Jesus reads Isaiah 61. And as he reads Isaiah 61, he simultaneously is claiming that what Isaiah prophesied, Jesus is that day in Nazareth fulfilling that prophecy. He's telling everyone in Nazareth that this is who I am as according to what has been prophesied. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And you see, unless Jesus has set you free, unless he has delivered you and set you at liberty from sin, there is no hope for your freedom. This is an enslavement that has no emancipation. There is no answer other than the emancipation of the Holy Spirit of God coming by your way, opening your eyes and setting you free from your sin. And not only are you enslaved by sin if Christ is not Lord of your life, but you have been given by the nature of who you are a death sentence. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. It's captivity, it's slavery that you live in unless Christ comes and changes your heart. It's a death sentence. But the good news is that Jesus paid that payment. We read about that perfect sacrifice earlier. He took the wrath, he took the fury of God, and he willingly had it poured out on himself on your behalf. And he literally allowed himself to become a curse for you and he accomplished it by a multi-day event of torment and brutality and eventually death all on your behalf. And the truth is you can never go free on your own. You'll never taste the liberty that God gives those who follow him, who serve him and who love him. Those who believe in him by grace through faith for salvation. That is the greatest freedom. That is the definition of liberty. The freedom given to those who are in the faith comes with certain authority and confidence. Are you with me this morning, church? The freedom given to you in Christ comes with certain authority and confidence. There are some certainties promised to you because you live, because you are in the kingdom of God. Because you have that freedom, because you have that liberty as a Christian, God has promised you some very particular things. And it's what Satan, in his attempt to keep you from God's word, wants to rob you of. 
If in this generation, if in this hour, in this moment of our nation's history, if the people who know the truth and believe the truth can be separated from the authority and the confidence of the truth, then it's half the battle for Satan to win. But if Christians, if the church, born again believers will embrace what God has given them in their freedom, in their liberty, and then have the confidence and the authority to live in those liberties, then it will change everything. There are some reassurances for us even in this dark world that we live in. As dark and as evil as it may get, those who are free in Christ have victory over the world. Those who are in Christ, in the faith, have victory over the world. Go into 1 John chapter 5. Go to verse number four. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. No matter what the world throws at you, no matter what you embrace, no matter what you see, no matter what you run into in this world, no matter what operations the darkness of evil can put against you or your family. The Bible says that if you are in Christ, born of God, then you have been given the certainty and the assurance that you have victory over the world. Praise God. Thank the Lord. I have victory over all that foolishness that's happening outside these walls. Does that help anybody this morning? Praise God, you have victory over everything you saw on Fox News this week. I got victory over it. Praise God, you've got victory over all the foolishness happening in Washington. Praise God, I've got victory over it. I'm born of God. I have victory over this world. Not as a place of pride, but as a place of thanksgiving in my heart towards God. That I don't have to attach my emotions or how I feel to their folly. But I can be certain of the victory that God gives me in the freedom and in the liberty and in the grace and the mercy bestowed upon me. A Gentile puppy dog that deserved nothing but hell. Thank God I've got victory over the world. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. Well, the stock market may crash. It might. Your $100 bill might be a $1 bill tomorrow, but you still have victory. Well, we're running out of baby formula and it's tough to find bread that doesn't cost $15 a loaf and gas is going through the roof and diesel is outrageous, but you have victory over the world. Politics are ruining our country. The Democrats want to do this. The Republicans want to do that. It's all falling apart, but you have victory over the world. Confidence and authority to live in this day and this age. And Satan wants you to hear none of it. He wants you afraid. He wants you scared. He wants you to circle the wagons and act like God's dead. Don't circle the wagons. God's alive. He's well and he promised you in his word victory over the world. You have victory over the world. And in that victory comes five things. Number one comes the certainty of eternal life. The certainty of 
Not the maybe, not the if, not the if I do this or that. If you are born again on your way to heaven and you're in the faith, then praise God, you have the certainty of eternal life. Go into 1 John 5, 13. It says, these things I have written unto you that ye believe upon the name of the Son of God. And here's the key, you've got to underline this, that ye may know, that ye may know, not that you may guess, not that you may wonder, but that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe upon the name of the Son of God. The bottom line is, if you are in the faith and you have the victory over the world, then number one, you have the certainty of eternal life. Every man and every woman, every boy and every girl is born automatically with eternal life. Everybody has eternal life. Everybody's gonna spend eternity somewhere. Through Jesus, you have the opportunity to spend that eternal life with him and not in hell. And if you're in Jesus, you'll never see hell. You'll never know what hell is. You'll never be separated from God. You couldn't go to hell if you tried to, if you are in the faith. It is a certain thing. It is a fact beyond any shadow of a doubt that if you are in Jesus, not only do you have victory over the world, but you have the guarantee, the certainty certified by God himself that you'll have eternal life. Secondly, you'll have the certainty of answered prayer. The certainty of answered prayer. Go to chapter five, verse number 14. And this is the confidence that we have in who? The Baptist church? No. And this is the confidence that we have in our young pastor. I hope to God not. And this is the confidence that we have in our pastor emeritus. No, it's not what the Bible says. We have confidence in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. In other words, not only did God save you and give you victory and eternal life with him, but he gives you the opportunity to have a personal relationship with him while you're on this earth. That he will hear your prayer and your supplication. That even when you mess up, you can run to him quickly and say, Father, I'm sorry. God, I'm still attached to this rotten flesh and one day, praise God, I'll be rid of this flesh. I'll be glorified. But until that day, I have the ability to pray and to take my heart's desire, my heart's plea directly to him. You have the certainty that God will answer your prayer, that God will hear your prayer according to his will. That's a guarantee from God's word. Not only do you have the certainty of answered prayer, but you have the certainty of victory over sin and over Satan. Go to verse number 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. You don't have to be what you used to be. 
And the truth is, if you're in Christ and you're enjoying that freedom of living in Him, the Bible says you won't be what you used to be before you were set free. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know what that word behold means? It means stop, wait, look, and watch the results. Look at the change. Look at the difference. Behold, all things become new. It takes some a lot longer to mature as a Christian. It takes some a lifetime to go from milk to meat. But the Bible says that if a man is in Christ, he is a new creature. And you have through Christ a guaranteed certified victory that you don't have to live the same way that you used to live. It's a victory over sin and over Satan himself. It says that the wicked one will not touch you. Praise the Lord for that. Number four, the certainty of belonging to God himself. The certainty of simply belonging to God. Verse number 19 says, and we know, here it is again, that we are of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. There's something about knowing who your father is. There's something about knowing your daddy personally. It's part of your identity, it's part of your upbringing, and it's part of the way you look at the world. It's identity, it's a sense of belonging. And thank God for the freedom, the grace, and the mercy given to me by Christ himself. I am not a spiritual orphan. I know exactly who my father is. And he knows who I am. There's something about belonging to God that in the day and age in which you are living, if you forget exactly who it is that purchased you, whose table it is you are sitting at, you'll lose sight of who your father is. If you lose sight of who your father is, you'll lose sight of your identity. And if you lose sight of your identity in this world, this world will prepare for you a new identity And in that dossier of an identity, there is anxiety and depression and worry and fear and doubt and hopelessness. But when you remember who you are and you remember that you belong to God and that it is a certain relationship that cannot be changed, your identity is securely fixed in who he is. There's a certainty of belonging to God. And lastly, the certainty of of Christ being the one true God. You don't have to wait for another. You don't have to look to anything other than Christ Jesus. Verse number 20, it says, And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him That is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the statement. This is the true God and eternal life. You can have full, absolute, certain confidence that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. 
the true God. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Your God is exactly who he said he was. He's absolutely every word he promised that he would be. And in that he promised that he would never leave you and that he would never forsake you and that he was a holy God and a righteous God and a just God and a God that could tell no lie. Praise the Lord that you have the certainty that Christ is exactly who he said he was. In verse number 21, John closes this out. And really what he's giving us is what our response today should be to that freedom. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's how he finishes. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. You know what John's warning you against? The things that would rob you of these certainties. The things that would rob you of the victory. Anything that comes between your heart and God. Anything that robs you of the promises of God's word. Not only has it maybe become an idol in your life, but maybe a form of spiritual warfare. Not all spiritual warfare comes with fangs and with knives and with guns. Some spiritual warfare comes in the form of distraction, of worry. Before long, you realize that You've taken your eyes off of Jesus. You've taken your eyes off of the truth, his promise, and you have no confidence in what we just read. There's no authority for you to live in all of these things. And it's because you are malnourished and you are depleted from being in his presence. There's no prayer life and there's no reading of his word. That is why the church is becoming silent and it's becoming dormant in many places. And that's why here at Trinity Baptist Church, our heart's cry is more of him and less of me. He's saying, keep yourself. That word means to guard yourself. He says, little children. It's like a father's warning. Watch out, that stove is hot. Look out, don't play in the road. There's a truck coming and it will kill you. Live your life as a little child in God's house. And say, Daddy, you have to watch out for me. I'm gonna stay close to you because you can see things, Daddy, that I can't see. And I'll listen. And then live your life with these certainties that are the foundation of freedom to live in Christ. Praise the Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the confidence, the authority, the liberty to preach your word. Take it now, seal it in our hearts. Lord, I pray for anyone that's here that's not saved, that's not born again, who does not know the freedom and the liberty of what it is to live in Christ Jesus. I pray that today before 
they lay their head on the pillow, they close out today, that God, that they would put their faith, their trust in you. They would turn from their wicked ways and believe upon the name of Jesus for salvation. Well, we thank you for our day. We thank you for this beautiful weather you've given us. Protect us and keep us. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.